Welcome to God in the Ordinary, a podcast to help you reveal God to others during your everyday. Special guests share their stories with songwriter and author Sharon Tedford. My guest today loves to reveal God to others. From the creative to the practical, she has shared her faith with people across the world and has walked through profound grief and great joy finding God in it all. My guest, education charity volunteer Sadie Chamberlain. Sadie, hello, it's so lovely to have you here with us. How are you doing today? It's really nice to be with you. Yeah, bit hectic, kids everywhere, end of the school week, but um, yeah, really nice to be with you. Thanks for joining us. We have people from all over the world, and I'm sure people have picked up already that you're not one of my American friends. Where do you live? I live in Harpenden, which is um, sort of outside of London, about half an hour's sort of drive from London in Hertfordshire. Very pretty area to live, I'm sure. It is, yeah, very fortunate. Sadie, here on God in the Ordinary, we love it when our guests give us a reflection on Isaiah 61. We love to hear people's thoughts and how God speaks to them through that very important chapter. I know you have something to share with us. Would you like to do that? Yeah, that'd be lovely. Thanks. How do you connect with the words of Isaiah 61? Proclaiming good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind and the year of the Lord's favour. How close a reality is that for you? For some of you, it will be very physically real. You are or live alongside the poor, the blind and the imprisoned. So perhaps as you hear these words, your heart cries, Yes, God, please do that in my home and my family or my neighbourhood. But perhaps for others of you, it might feel remote. You are happy and healthy, so it doesn't really reflect the day-to-day life you live or people you know. But whether these words are a physical reality or not, we must be alert that this is a spiritual reality for people who are without Christ. For people in your everyday without Jesus, they are poor. They are captives in darkness and without God. This is a spiritual reality. Don't be distracted or overwhelmed by the physical. I love the account in 2 Kings 6 where the enemy king of Aram has sent a strong army of horses and chariots to capture Elisha. When Elisha's servant sees them, he says, Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? Elisha replies, Do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prays, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opens the servant's eyes and the servant does see a mighty heavenly army of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The enemy is a physical problem, but the spiritual reality of the power and presence of God is that he is way bigger and always present with his people. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 say, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, and let's not forget he is also on you. He has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour to the people and situations around you. These words are a battle cry declaring transformation physically and spiritually. God is at work with a heavenly army and you, his people, fulfilling his plans and promises to reclaim, redeem and transform people and nations. Be encouraged as you serve God in the everyday that what we see with our physical eyes is not all there is. Thank you for sharing that very inspiring reflection. Before we talk about it, I want you to share with our listeners that for a little while, you lived outside of the UK, didn't you? Where did you live? And while you were there, what did you learn about living alongside the poor, the blind, the imprisoned, as you just talked about in your reflection? Yeah, so we lived in Indonesia, in Jakarta. My husband's a missionary kid, but we went back there in a work capacity. He was just working in business. We definitely felt God call us to go there. And actually, all our friends, Christian friends that we made out there all said the same. God really called us here, but we don't know why. And it is an unusual country, I think, in that the poor and the rich really do live alongside each other. So you've got housing that's really opulent next to um, sort of slum housing um, and local housing for people who really are not wealthy and their experience is just eating day to day um, and having what they need that day. So while we were there, I kind of hoped we'd get much more involved at grassroots level. And we did in the sense of Mark was helping a charity a street workers children's charity that was um, really great in terms of helping them not become more western but I think put in process safeguarding for children and things like that to help them and then I had the opportunity to just help people as we needed it so we had missionary friends who amazingly were living on a rubbish dump with their very young children they were a kiwi family who had come over to work as missionaries there and that was just really startling and so we were able to help them financially or if it was putting together things that the rubbish collectors might be able to use for their family and children. But I think the other thing for me really while we were there was being able to just be with expat families and women. And it was a really easy environment, actually, in which to invite people to church, which I hadn't expected. And I think people were really open to have those conversations about God and faith. So I was able to do Bible studies with a Buddhist friend of mine and help have conversations about Jesus with her and yeah just to take those chances really I think as well when you don't live in an area where perhaps you're more worried about how people might perceive you because people are more transient um, I think that made me a little bit more bold in sharing my faith. Yeah I think that's true you just get on and do it don't you it's like we're here we're going to make the most of the time we don't know how long we're here we have to make the most of it. Absolutely yeah. You said that you really felt called by God to go and you know people often say that phrase how did that unfold for you and Mark? My first thing, which I don't know if you're going to mention or not, but I was a dancer. So I was, um, that was my background and my profession. And um, in that time, I had a picture that somebody gave me about being um, used for God. And that picture really stuck with me about wanting 
people to see God's glory in me. And then after having children and not being a dancer anymore, I kind of thought if there's more God wants to give me, I want to do that. I want to be like a lightning rod for God, you know, that his power can come through me and um, spread to other people. And I just had that real desire for that. And Mark and I really started to sort of pray about that, my husband Mark. And around the time of my first son's dedication, a lady in the church who you know as well, Jill, had a word of prophecy for us about um, a breaking of a fast. And we thought, that's a bit weird. (laughs) And so we prayed about it and um, sort of said, look, God, if this is from you, we'd like to know. And um, we actually stopped and prayed very specifically about it. And I said in my prayer to God, we just want to be a well-watered garden. And I've had that experience before where I didn't think that. It was like it was put into my mouth. And I said to Mark when we finished praying, I think that phrase, well-watered garden, I think God said that through me. And I said, let's just read the Bible and see what God's got to say. And Mark was a bit sceptical and we literally opened it straight to Isaiah, I think it's 58, where God talks about caring for the poor and putting those people first that are on his heart and that um, he will make you a well-watered garden. And that was literally right in front of us there and then. And we still didn't really know what that meant. So I think for a year or so, we really... Um, this is the long version. (laughs) We really spent time just seeking God and going, actually, that looks like nothing we're doing right now. How can we do that, God? And it was little things like, you remember Carol from our old church, Sharon, who um, had cerebral palsy and was in a wheelchair in a care home and could never make it to church without somebody helping go with her in the disabled taxi. So Mark would go and do that and we would go visit her as a family and she would need someone to give her a drink because she couldn't physically do anything for herself and just to be with her and pray with her or having those people in the church over that maybe other people might not invite over and people with mental disabilities and things like that and and we weren't really doing any of that at the time and I think just really focusing praying together day by day and just seeking God and this opportunity to work overseas had come up and I just said to God if we're going to do this, the way I'll know you're in it is if my sister is okay, because we had lost my mum. She had died about a couple of years before and my sister and I were very close and I knew that she would freak out. (laughs) And the first time I mentioned that we were considering going overseas to Thailand, she really freaked out and uh, did not have a healthy reaction. And I was like, okay, you know, And then the second time when I mentioned that we might move to Indonesia, she was okay and she was quite calm about it. And on top of that, I think God gave us another Bible verse that was about he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And it wasn't that we didn't feel our needs were satisfied at all physically, but spiritually we just knew we wanted more of God. And so when Indonesia came up, to be honest, against everything, because we went over there and the country's got lots to offer but it's a chaotic badly run place it's not very functional in lots of ways and my mother-in-law said to me if you didn't want Thailand or you didn't want to go to Singapore I really don't think you'll want to be in Indonesia but it actually felt right and it felt okay and I think God sent other little signs along the way um, to graciously affirm the move so yeah so that's how we ended up there 
And ironically, this well-watered garden thing, uh, one day I was saying to a friend, God brought us out here using this verse about a well-watered garden and I still don't really understand it because it seems to be about prosperity in a setting that is really impoverished and talking about this well-watered garden. And I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, that is exactly where we are. We were in a really prosperous situation as expats in this lovely compound surrounded by local people. And ironically, our garden was the swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) And when I realised that, I just kind of thought I've heard God laughing at me, (laughs) going, and the penny dropped. (laughs) So it was just being faithful, really, to him and um, in relationship while we were there with other people. And so it was a good time. That's helpful because sometimes people say, I heard God in the verse of scripture. And there's nothing wrong with that. But your story is, I heard God through a verse of scripture, through a friend, through experience, through walking it out, through testing the water. You did all of that. That's really a helpful thing for us because there are lots of ways that we can hear from God. And sometimes we need all of those ways in order to know the next step and to follow where he's leading. Absolutely. Okay, I looked it up because I have the ability to do that while you're talking. (laughs) And it's Isaiah 58 verse 11. I'm going to read it. It says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And I love that you got to live that out, Sadie. Thanks. That's a really helpful story. You said in your reflection that without Jesus, and you've touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to unpack it a bit more, people are poor and they are captives. Obviously, you saw that where you were living in Jakarta, but you've probably experienced that all through your life. What does it mean for people to be poor when we're not talking about financially? Obviously, that's clear to us. And what does it mean for people to be captives? How do we look for that amongst our own friends? Where we live right now in Harpenden is an unbelievably affluent place. Um, I think my son learned in his geography lesson at school that it's got the most million pound houses in Europe or something. It's um, crazy affluent. And that affluence is very deceptive, I think. When I say it's deceptive, you know, it can look like you've got everything, like you've got the world, you know, um, you've got it made, you've got the amazing house, you've got the best schools in the country, all of those things. But actually, it is remembering that without Christ, there is a spiritual reality that we have nothing. Christ is everything and God is everything or we have nothing. Um, So yeah, I think you forget that because we do have that herd mentality of looking to other people around us and sort of being like, oh, I want to be like that. And that's setting our standard as opposed to what God says um, in his word. That's a really interesting observation that people were feeling like they had more to protect. I think we probably have all witnessed that in various places and geographical and also emotional around us. I just want to step back a bit because you said your Kiwi friend, now our American friends, won't know that we refer to people (laughs) from New Zealand as Kiwis, as they refer to themselves as well because of the bird. So we're not talking about, Sadie doesn't talk to vegetables. She's not crazy. Well, some days, some days, just company. Sadie, you just mentioned there the painful experience of losing your lovely mum very suddenly um, some years ago now, but there was a lot of things you needed to walk through as you grieved that great loss. How did you find God in that time? Where on earth did you look for him? Um, So my mum died very suddenly. It was mental illness that took her and she was a Christian. She loved God. Um, People at church were amazing in that time. And um, I think I definitely knew 
the strength of God from their prayers and specific prayers that they prayed for me and in terms of how I would be able to remember mum and not be sort of scarred by her death and things like that. Um, God definitely graciously honoured those. Practically people, you know, lifting us up with an army of food and <laughs> an army supply of food and things like that. I think um, I didn't ever need to distance myself from the memories of mum. They were always beautiful, if that makes sense. It wasn't like too painful for me to think about her. And I think that was definitely a gift of God. I remember my mother-in-law, who's amazing. Um, I'm very, very thankful for her. Sent me a little angel. We have these things called willow tree figures. I don't know if they're international or just a British thing. And she sent me this little um, wooden carving of an angel called the Angel of Courage. And that really... It wasn't the statue in itself that did anything for me, but it was that word of courage. That is what I need right now to face the day by day. And I'm very thankful that because my mum was a Christian, we did have a close relationship and had had those conversations that I had peace over her death. And I think what I would definitely say with God is when we give our pain to God, he will take that and it can still be painful but I always sort of say it's a bit like instead of having raw weeping wounds, you have faded scars. Um, of course, I lost my mum. I'm not going to suddenly feel like that didn't happen and the pain of the year leading up to her death didn't happen. But it is a faded scar that I can look at, talk about, deal with, as opposed to something that I just can't go anywhere near because it's too traumatic. So, yeah, I'm very, very thankful to God for those things. And the, the thing that I really you know, thank God for is that I, I think the word I would say for God is redeemer above everything. And I, I remember making a slight deal with God, not that I would recommend making deals with God, <laughs> um, <laughs> but saying to him, look, you have let mum go. Please, can you redeem this situation? Please, can you make it a bit better by bringing my sister to faith? And he did that and her husband, who was a Jehovah's Witness. And it's wonderful, actually. She's now got a family and um, loves God and has come so far. So that is a real joy, actually. And I know something that my mum would have been utterly delighted with. That's very honouring to share memories of your mum like that. As you share your story, I hear the word community and courage, not just in how you responded to your mum going home to heaven, but also in the way that you moved to another country and you reached out to people to build community and share courage. So it sounds to me like you've lived that in that way for many years. I'm never going to forget the day that you danced to Casting Crowns, Praise You in the Storm, in the days after your mum had passed away because you were booked in to speak at a local mum's group and instead of speaking, you danced for us and it was raw worship on that day. It still brings up those emotions in me now. It's left a profound mark on me, Sadie. So as a dancer, I could see you connecting with the father how do you do that? I know you just said, I don't dance anymore, but I beg to differ. I think a dancer, <laughs> oh, once a dancer, always yeah, a dancer. It's in yeah, you. How yeah, do you absolutely. connect with God and how do you see him revealing himself to you? Or how can you watch people in the audience meeting God through your dancing? How does that all work for you? For me, I guess dance is another vocabulary. So it's another way of having a conversation with God. But at a completely feeling level, emotional level, I guess, it's not something that is um, in my logical head, perhaps. It's it's done 
um, with my heart. Some people are very, um, it takes a while for them to warm up and then they might tell you a few things. I'm going to give you everything now. <laughs> Whatever you want to know, <laughs> you can know it. That's fine. I think sometimes that means I tend to maybe perhaps ask questions. People are like, oh, she barely knows me. <laughs> and then I kind of figure they can always say no. Um, so I think about being very real and vulnerable, perhaps in that allowing people to be participants, perhaps in seeing what has gone on for me so that it is authentic um so yeah so I've enjoyed being able to do that and using my gifts to glorify God through dance um to have that conversation with him or to do a dance that's a testimony of him or conveying a bible story about him and allowing other people in on that um I guess intimacy perhaps uh, and also just praising him through that and and showing others look this you know I'm praising God for this in my life and in terms of seeing the audience I love that part that's I think my favorite part is communicating those things with the audience and hoping to make that connection um, with them to let them know that this is for them as well it's not just my story this can be your story yeah I think there's something profound in the way that if we allow other people to see our intimacy with God and that we live in a transparent way which is what you're saying then it becomes attractive to others they ask the questions why do you live like that? And then they want to see that Jesus is the answer. I, I've had the privilege of being taught by Sadie Chamberlain in tap dancing, which I actually was doing during lockdown to so keep myself. So many memories. Oh, good. <laughs> so well many memories. Done. I was, yeah, in the garage. I'm sure our next door neighbour was like, oh my goodness, do they have horses in their garage or something? But it, it was pretty loud, but well whatever. <laughs> so when you're teaching dance, how do you help your students use their bodies to worship? And do you think anyone can dance in worship? I do. I absolutely do. Yeah, it's a joy actually to teach other people. I've done a little bit of that here and a bit of it in Jakarta as well. Uh, in terms of anybody can do it, I think you don't actually have to have a dance background to do it, but you do have to be able to just be open to sharing because any form of creativity is quite a vulnerable position, I think. So sometimes you're open for that. And if you've got the right teacher, they'll do it safely so you don't feel scared or uncomfortable and I think um, it's interesting really interesting teaching adults I love it actually <laughs> because adults are much more used to the logical left brain instead of the intuitive right and you kind of want to give them that freedom to move away from the I have to get everything right all the time to I can have a go and have fun with this as opposed to I only have fun once I've done it correctly, you know. And I think as well, rather than it being about performing a set sequence is about just expressing yourself and kind of giving people a guidance or a framework in which to do that so that they can have a go and just see. Yeah, it's been really fun to do that. I miss our tap dancing days. <laughs> Me too. We had so much fun in those days. There were many, many giggles. Yeah, <laughs> I always absolutely. wonder what people wondered when they walked through. We just used the hall in the church. And so people did sometimes wander through and I would love to hear their stories of what they saw. <laughs> or maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> so again, you're saying, Sadie, that we can have intimacy with God through worship if we are open hearted and we live transparently with him and in him. You're listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Sadie Chamberlain. So 
also separately from dance and being a mum and being a great friend and daughter, at the moment you're doing some work in local schools. It's really interesting. Can you tell us about that? Once the children have gone to school, I'm fortunate that Mark can do all the working and earning financially. Um, So I wanted to give my time to something and I had a look at a um, sex workers outreach project down the road that is amazing. And I went there and I thought about doing that or working with Jump who are working in schools. And I was really impacted by the outreach group in Luton, working with these sex workers, but just felt a bit out of my depth, not knowing where to start. Whereas working with Jump and teaching the Bible creatively was definitely something I knew how to do. Um, So Jump is working in primary schools. It started years ago from a mum who was literally just asked, the school knew she was a Christian and they said, could you come in and do something on Christmas? And then they said, could you come in and do something on Easter about Jesus? And she did that until she started running a whole organisation. So we go into primary schools, that's four to 11 um, years over here. We teach the Christian elements of the religious education curriculum. So we wouldn't dream of teaching other aspects because we simply don't have that knowledge. But we go in to teach it as a living faith, as opposed to a teachers who have said to me, I don't know about this. So I can only really teach from a textbook. And we go in trying to do that really creatively to make the lessons really fun and engaging. I love that phrase that it's a living faith. And what powerful stories you can tell from a living faith. If you could tell us one of your favourite interactions with students, obviously naming no names, what would that be? So they asked, the coordinators asked me to redo the curriculum on uh, faith in art, um, the Christian faith through art. And that was great to do that, actually. I guess they sort of knew with my dance background and um, everything that I'd be able to take that. And so I rejigged the lesson and we looked at people like C.S. Lewis. We looked at rappers like Governor B, who's a R&B artist over here. Don't know if you've heard of him there, maybe a bit like Lecrae, perhaps. And Springs Dance Company, who I danced with. We looked at all these different artists artists and how they express their faith and then this change that I made other than updating their artists um, who weren't just from the classical period um, was to give them a story as a springboard to produce their own art so we use the story of the prodigal son so I'd read the story of the prodigal son to them we've got to remember as well that these kids in England certainly they don't even have really much religious content in assembly now um, assembly again a British thing is where all the kids come in to the hall at the start of each day for a time together and that used to be a very Christian thing but it isn't anymore and I'm aware that for some of these children they don't even know what God is Um, and then really explain the significance of it Um, that the father who went completely against cultural norms to run after his son and bring him back and the feelings and the anxiety perhaps of the son of a lack of worth and why should his father want to come to him and so I'd read this story and give the children a bit of silence and then we give them a load of different media to work through so it might be stitching it might be art it might be clay it might be writing poems and actually one of the groups said we want to go do a dance so I said yeah great and then they do all of this different artwork based on the story of the prodigal son and the art that they produced was amazing and also for non-christian children some of them may have had contact with church before but they got god's heart in this story um so one girl wrote an amazing poem about coming back to the father another
mother boy had done this beautiful um, clay of um, the father and the son embracing uh, so just all this artwork that's and the dance group did a great job and what was lovely actually is they weren't at all inhibited about doing it in front of the class which I didn't expect and the class were really encouraging of them so yeah so it was um, yeah really inspiring actually they were really inspiring it sounds like you are making the word of God do exactly what it says it's going to do on the tin and making it living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. That sounds really fun. I have always enjoyed the way that you've taught and shared with children. You are very gifted in that area. Are you in need of extra helpers? Do you take other people and what kind of people would they be? It depends whether you want to lead and stand in front of a class of 30 and teach or whether you just would rather help and assist. So um, we have people from various denominations, actually, who help out. And then there's only actually about three or four of us who lead lessons. Um, We do need extra people all the time um, because we have schools that we physically cannot service because there's too much need and demand. And that's a fantastic situation to be in. In lockdown, it's been great, actually, because we've had to produce material online. And it's been really fun, actually, especially for my slightly more creative background to try and produce material that's going to really communicate online to children and in fact I think we all have we all agree at Jump that the material we've produced in lockdown is possibly even better than us being there in person Um, (laughs) so we've got an amazing team particularly the editing and filming team who really bring it to life um, using green screens and studios and, and this that and the other so that's been a challenge because we've had to generate a huge amount of material to produce that but also really exciting and fun as well um, and really bonded the team I think over over lockdown thank you for doing that it's such an important job what you're doing is so important so if people who live in the harpenden area would like to contact you we're going to put in the show notes how you can get hold of jump and how you can volunteer so I will put that in the show notes. That's where you'll need to go and look for it. Sadie, we are about to wrap up, which is always a shock to me when we get to the end, especially when having such a lovely chat. But I want to go back to the thought that you had from the story of Elisha that you shared way back at the beginning of this episode in your reflection. You said that the spiritual reality of the power and presence of God is very real. How can we learn to see that? What if we're not noticing it? Where should we look for God in that way as we go about our ordinary days. Is he in the office? Is he in the supermarket? Might I find him at the school gates? That's a huge question. Uh, My automatic response, not having thought about it, is I think we have a tendency perhaps to think we need to separate the sacred and the secular and that God is perhaps for church or God is here in my prayer time here or he is when I'm reading my Bible or at my Bible study group or whatever. And God doesn't do that. God doesn't separate the sacred and the secular. It is all one to him. And I think it's a personal challenge to each of us to kind of go, actually, God really cares about my office doing some random thing that has absolutely no connection to um, the Bible or perhaps his kingdom purposes. God cares about those people. And to kind of go, okay, so if he is present here, 
if he really cares about this job, then how do I bring God into that situation? As opposed to feeling like we need to be doing something specifically holy (laughs) before God shows up. Um, He is actually always there and always interested. And so I think it's kind of raising our faith and going game on let's have this adventure together and doing that and if you're not in a workplace if you're a stay-at-home mum as I am now the work I do for the church and with jump is all voluntary um, do not for one second put yourself down in your position and in your in what you're able to do for God and say I am just a house husband a housewife that is an amazing place to be and I think I've had to challenge myself about that as I've gone through changes in my life and changing from working life to parenting to where I'm at now because I, I'm so thankful that I get an amazing opportunity to give people time and conversations to the mums on the school gate to just be that person to talk to and while I am talking to them to sort of go what is God saying in this situation so I can hear what they're saying but I'm like where's God leading in this and to try and take them down that path. Yes, and if you want to learn more about the sacred secular divide, go back and listen to our episode with Mark Green, because he talks about that more. And we absolutely agree here on God in the Ordinary that there is no divide between the sacred and the secular, because as you say, if God dwells in us and he is holy, then wherever we go, we are doing holy things simply because God dwells in us. Sadie, it's been really great chatting to you. I hope that everybody finishes listening to this episode and says, game on, and will step out and become people who are looking out for others, who are searching for community and living in courage and watching God redeem all kinds of things today. Thank you, Sadie. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. You've been listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Sadie Chamberlain. You can access the video teachings from Christian education charity Jump on their website, jumpschoolswork.org.uk. For our show notes, go to 61-things.com. This podcast is a Wise Word Radio 61 Things co-production. We pray that you're encouraged to reveal God in your everyday.